Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello. And welcome back to the Roper Report Podcast Extra. I think we haven't spoken since before the Nottingham Forest game. Christmas kind of got in the way. I meet you a couple of weeks after one win, two defeats, a depressing FA Cup exit. This week, we'll obviously be speaking to a Cardiff fan. We've got BBC Wales football commentator, Mark Poyser. How are you doing, mate? You all right? I'm very well. How are you, Graham? Football sense, not very well. <laughs> You've had it rough the last couple of years up there. Let's put it like that. You could say that again. Over the years, there's been some, like recently for us, there's been some quite memorable games against Cardiff. And you come up against us, we're bottom of the league. It'll probably just be quite a young look inside on Saturday. Things have changed since that 2-2 draw in Cardiff a couple of Christmases ago. Do you have any memories of the games between us that stick out in the top of your head? Uh, well, I remember one, I remember coming up to the Stadium of Light, I think it was Halloween, must have been about 10, 11 years ago. When Cardiff, last time Cardiff were in a, a really good position, actually. They were flying at the top of the league. Michael Chopra, I seem to remember, uh, scoring in a 2-1 in a win. Uh, in fact, I'm looking at looking here, he scored twice, actually. So that's good memory on my part. I just remember it being so, in, so, so incredibly cold. Uh, and Sunderland, did they end up getting promoted that season? In the end, 2006-2007? Yeah, so at the time, Cardiff were flying. And I think Sunderland were down the other end of the, uh, at the time. Uh, how fortunes changed that season from that game in October. Uh, the Premier League game that you mentioned right at the beginning, uh, that was at a time when Cardiff were going through a little bit of upheaval uh, with their manager at the time, Malky Mackay, and the owner. They were playing in red as well for a start. They were 2-0 up and then two very late goals from Sunderland cost them and it all sort of unravelled really uh, from then on. And then in the, the, the corresponding fixture that season in the Premier League, I think that 4-0 defeat was almost the final nail in the coffin uh, for Cardiff. Uh, the defender got sent off quite controversially, I remember, at half-time, and it all unravelled then yeah. in the second half. Thankfully, from a Cardiff point of view, things have improved a lot from those days. They don't play in red for a start. They're back in blue, which is fantastic. And under Neil Warnock, he really has united the fan base again, which was fractured with the, the kit change, the, the colour change and the owner and the managerial appointment since they were relegated from the Premier League. But since Neil Warnock was appointed in October 2016, it really has been. City as one is their social media slogan and it really is a bit of a mantra because everyone at the moment 
is singing off the uh, same hymn sheet, even if things the last couple of weeks haven't quite gone Cardiff's way. Talking about social media slogans, we're like the worst for it. I remember last <laughs> year we had it's strength, and then a week later, I think we give a load of staff redundancies and took the first team to New York. So, <laughs> yeah, you've had a, you've had a few difficulties, haven't you, over the last couple of years? Uh, and down here in Wales, actually, the way that Swansea have been doing things, uh, going from upheaval to upheaval, a lot of people, certainly Swansea fans, have said that they could be the next Sunderland if they're not careful. So you've almost been a bit of a warning to every other club in the Premier League what can happen if uh, things don't go particularly well and you, you're not able to get yourselves organised. So certainly from your point of view, we think you've got a good manager in Chris Coleman. A lot of people in Wales still think of him very fondly. And I think uh, for the game on Saturday, he will get a hero's welcome back at the Cardiff City Stadium. I don't think there's any doubt about that. I was wondering about that with Coleman because it's, I suppose, obviously Cardiff and Swansea. And he's a, he's a Swansea, Swansea boy, isn't he, Coleman? Swansea boy. Well, when he took the Wales job, there was a lot of opposition to him for that very reason. The Cardiff fans didn't like that he was a Swansea boy through and through. So it's testament, really, to the job that he did with the national team that by, like, you know, Euro 2016 and the end of his time with Wales. No one was bringing that up. Everyone was singing uh, his praises, saying lots of brilliant things about him. And a whole country was absolutely gutted when he announced that he was leaving. Um, the outpouring of sort of, not grief, because it sounds like it was a funeral or something like that, but there was a lot of, uh, it, was, it was an emotional time for Welsh football fans because he has been the most successful manager in modern times. Only the second manager to ever take them to uh, a major tournament. So, it was a big loss for them, but I think a lot of people could maybe understand why he decided his, his time with the national team were up. And uh, Dioch Chris, which is Welsh, the thank you, was trending on social media at the time. So uh, I think tomorrow, certainly before a ball has been kicked, the Cardiff fans would certainly like to let him know how grateful they are for his work with the national team. So as he said, with that sort of Swansea connection, that is a testament to how well he was able to do to sort of win them over. Uh, and everyone will be very pleased to see him back at the Cardiff City Stadium. Yeah, I can never. I mean, if, if say Alan Shearer got the England job and did really well, I still can't see myself liking him. I must be honest. I, I can understand that. that. Uh, Wales is a, <laughs> a small country. They haven't had a lot of success. When you've never been to a major tournament in 50-odd years, the man who delivers it sort of becomes a bit of a legend. And uh, what Welsh football fans do is when they take to you they do you know you're one of them and they do look after their own so they they will definitely remember fondly his time and it's funny with Coleman it's uh as much as the results maybe haven't gone the way that we would hope I think everyone's been quite impressed by him but that brings me on to to your manager now fast forward from obviously what we've seen the past few years 2008 Cardiff is sitting in third place. I think, admittedly, from an outside perspective, they look one of the better sides. No one seems to like love Neil Warnock. Nobody really wants him as your manager. But what is it that he's brought to, to Wales and Cardiff in particular this season that just seems to unite people? What is it that he does? He's no nonsense. Uh, and I think he he's very much like the Cardiff fans. You say no fans like him. I can tell you the Cardiff fans absolutely adore him. Uh, he's great with us in the press. Very funny man, a very engaging man. He was actually telling us a story uh, not long after he got the Cardiff job. His wife phoned him, and obviously his wife hasn't been very well. Uh, mm -hmm. She phoned him to say, I've been reading the Cardiff message boards, and, and Neil said in his thick Sheffield accent, I told you not to do that, love. I told you not to do that. He says, no, no, you don't <laughs> understand. Darling, they like you. They actually like you. So I think he's well aware of that <laughs> reputation that he mentioned, but certainly the Cardiff fans absolutely love him. He, as I said, no nonsense. He says 
what he thinks. He wears his heart on his sleeve. And I think they relate to that. And most importantly, you only have to look at the results. In 2017, there's only two teams that collected more championship points than Neil Warnock's Cardiff. If you're successful, you're going to be loved. Case in point, Chris Coleman with Wales. If he's successful with you guys, you're going to love Chris Coleman. Any manager who's successful becomes a bit of a hero. And that's exactly what has happened with Neil Warnock. Him being able to unite a club and a fan base, I'm not really sure how he's done it because there were so many problems off the field. Uh, The fans felt very disconnected uh, with the team and certainly with the owners. And it's almost like now the supporters have completely forgotten what happened with the colour change and what Vincent Tan has done in the past. No one talks about it anymore because they're doing ever so well in the league. I actually asked um, one of the Cardiff players, uh, I forget, it was Lee Peltier actually, it was. Yeah. He played under him before at Leeds. And I said to him, what, what is it that Neil does? And he says, I've always been asked this question and I can't come up with an answer. I can't put my finger on just what he does. It's just his very presence. It just seems to bring the best out of you. And I think when he said that, he wasn't just referring to players. I think he was referring to supporters as well. And it certainly rung true during his, uh, well, just over a year in charge of Cardiff. I think there's a, a kind of a, a different level because I think Allardyce has done it at a, a premiership level. But when you look at managers that are not necessarily sought after by clubs of um, fans of other clubs, but there's a character and a kind of almost like a, a siege mentality. I think Warnock's very similar, like a championship version of Sam Allardyce almost. He seems to unite people and the fans can really get behind him and the character that he builds kind of infiltrates the club in a really positive sense, I've noticed. You mentioned a key word there in the championship. I I'm struggling to think off the top of my head of a better manager at this level in terms of doing it, proving it time after time uh, in this level. Uh, seven promotions, two from, from this league. He knows this division inside out. So last season's brief was to get them away from trouble and he almost did that immediately. I, th- I remember them winning a couple of games to start with and he, people were talking about promotion even though they're only just out of the bottom three. That uh, Such were the expectations when... He came in, they finally had someone who knew all about this level uh, and he certainly has delivered uh, in that regard. He said himself he hasn't really enjoyed his time in the Premier League. I think he prefers championship management because there's so many matches. It's real slog as anyone who's spent any amount of time uh, watching their team in this division will will know all about. I think he thrives on the championship. Having said that, he doesn't really enjoy the Premier League. I think he would like one last crack at it, if you like, before... uh, before he retires. Hopefully, from our point of view, that will be with Cardiff. Uh, but he made no secret of the fact he wants promotion. The very day he walked in the football club, I was at his first press conference, asked him his first question, I think something along the lines of, what attracted you to Cardiff? And he mentioned promotion. He wants to get a record eighth promotion. No one's ever done more than seven. There's him with seven. There's uh, Graham Taylor with seven. Dave Bassett with seven. No one's done eight. He wants to do something that no one's ever done before. And he clearly saw Cardiff as a good opportunity to do that. And he's been true to his word so far if he can pick things up in the second half of the season. I read quite a funny quote about him the other, the other week and I, I'll hold my hands up. Like I, I don't, I'm starting to learn the championship more and more in terms of players. I've, I've lost that kind of premiership ignorance towards it recently. I remember when Virgil van Dijk went for 75 million the other, the other week and he said, Sol Bamba is a, a better defender than Virgil van Dijk. Do you agree with him? I was actually at that press conference uh, when he was asked because he said it a few weeks before. He said he wouldn't swap Sol Bamba for any defender in the Championship or Premier League. Virgil van Dijk had obviously gone for the £75 million, So he was asked, does that now include 
Virgil van Dijk. Uh, and he did say uh, he's a better defender. He didn't say he was a better player. He said that um, Virgil van Dijk's got a lot more about him on the ball. But if you're just after defenders, people who will stop the opponent getting past you and getting the ball into your net, there's not many better about, certainly in the championship, he used another fantastic turn of phrase as well, which didn't quite grab the headlines as much as the Van Dyke stuff did. But he said, an attacker thinks he's got away, and then all of a sudden his big, long octopus legs come round and flick <laughs> it away. And it, we've seen it so many times. He has been a man mountain. When Warnock came in, he didn't have a club. He signed him for nothing in the October. He was his first signing. He's been an absolute revelation since then. Whether he's better than Virgil van Dijk, I'm not quite so sure. I don't think Virgil van Dijk is worth 75 million. But certainly, if someone wanted to no. buy Sol Bamba in this January transfer window, given that they signed him for absolutely nothing, it would probably cost them five, ten million pounds because he's been an absolute colossus. And with all the injury problems they've had, he has been the one constant, if you like. And he has been terrific. And the fans as well, we talk about the fans loving Warnock, the fans absolutely worship the ground that Sol Bamba walks on. Before Christmas, they came up with a song for him last Christmas. Uh, but instead of, uh, I gave it to someone special, I'll give it to Sol Bamba. Uh, so they've let them know exactly what they think about him. It's funny you were mentioned talking about the mistakes Sunderland have made. And uh, Virgil van Dijk was actually a player we were linked to an awful lot. And apparently we were quoted 13 million before he went to Southampton and, and we kind of balked at the price. And I think if there's ever a, a reason to to understand why Sunderland are in the mess they are, that was about the same summer that we signed Sebastian Quartes on loan and Jack Rodwell um, for 10 million and balked at the price of 13 million for Virgil van Dijk. How things could have been different, but there uh, you go. <laughs> and well, Neil Warnock said he had the chance to sign him for 6 million. So that was probably a, a year or two uh, before the, the instance you're talking about. And he said the Palace chief scout uh, thought he was too slow and wasn't good enough on the ball. So he he said, I hope that chief scout is watching this morning. He said he had a little smile (laughs) uh, when he saw the news. He didn't mention who it was, but I think he knows who he is. You speak with a lot of positivity, which is good. And I I found I had this year the week exactly the same with uh, Sheffield United. He went on to stuff us, as it was. Um, But there's been a wobble. Um, we talked about it a little bit before we started the podcast. Um, I'm looking at the last sort of five games. You, you won mid-December, but since then it's been four league defeats on the trot and then you've drew against Mansfield in the Cup. Now, not that we can say anything, but even our form based on the last five games is slightly better than that. But there's there's reasons for that, isn't there? There's reasons behind that. Uh, they have had a, a crippling injury list. It might sound like excuses because, as we know, every team gets injuries in every season. But the number of players that they've had out... I mean, I've just jotted down a quick list before I came on to speak to you. And there's two, three, four... There's something like 12, 14, maybe 16 players who they've uh, had out injured at any point during this season. But particularly in December... They've had so many go down. They've had uh, Kenneth Sahor, who was on fire second half of last season, got something like uh, uh, 11 goals in like 12 games in the second half of the season. Uh, he's been out from October to Boxing Day. They had, they, it was one of those injuries where they just couldn't get to the bottom of it. And as it transpired, he was playing with a lot of pain before he actually uh, was out. So before that, he probably wasn't at top form. He's still coming back uh, to match sharpness. They signed a goalkeeper in the summer. He hasn't played whatsoever. Uh, they're probably their quickest winger, Kadeem Harris, hasn't played this season, did his uh, ankle in pre-season. Uh, and particularly, they've been hurt in the striking department. I mentioned Kenneth Sahor. 
Uh, they've had their backup striker, Danny Ward. He's had an operation. He hopefully will be back before the end of the season, but that's going to be months rather than weeks. Omar Bogle, a third-choice striker who's come in and done really well. He's had a, a bit of a problem. Matt Connolly, the defender, he plays first game at Queen's Park Rangers on New Year's Day, picks up a problem, out for a month. Lee Peltier, the fullback, he's out for uh, four weeks, I think. Uh, and then the, the two big losses, Aaron Gunnison hasn't played since uh, October, the Iceland captain, international midfielder, really in the spine of the team. And then Sean Morrison, who uh, got injured at the start of December, missed about a month. And we talked about Sol Bamba being a terrific defender. Uh, Sean Morrison is probably not a good uh, a defender as him. However, uh, I think as a captain and a leader, he really does influence the rest of the team. And on the way back home from Queen's Park Rangers on New Year's Day, and one of my colleagues was driving, I was in the back, and I was just looking up a few numbers. With Morrison in the team this season, they've played 20 games, won 13, drawn four, lost three. They've kept nine clean sheets and conceded just 15. Without him in the league, five games, they've won only one of them. They've lost four. They've only kept one clean sheet and they conceded 10. So you can draw your own conclusions from that, but... His absence. Yeah. Any Cardiff fan who maybe thought he wasn't quite as influential as perhaps maybe Neil Warnock was saying early on in the season, well, those stats certainly back it up. That's why Neil Warnock turned down a, a big money bid from Sheffield Wednesday in the summer. He's such a threat as well at, at the other end. So the bad news for Sunderland is he played against Mansfield in the FA Cup. They kept a clean sheet, so he should be playing on Saturday. And he's probably been, along with Gunnison, he has probably been their biggest miss and all these injuries, yes, but it's been that in December, they've had pretty much the same 18 players who've had to play all these games. And certainly Christmas, there's so many. Start of December, they were still in there. And then they had these four defeats, just the uh, started with Bolton, I think, just before Christmas. Um, so before that started, I think they were only one point behind Wolves. They're now, I think, 14 behind them. So it shows how quickly things can change at the top of the table. When you're going through the list of players there, the one that struck me from the, the other game, obviously when you played at the stadium and, and beat us up at the stadium alike, was uh, Zahor. I, I'm, I'm sure it was Zahor. I just remember we, we have real problems defending corners and we've got real problems whenever someone with speed and pace and power would comes up against, say, John O'Shea, for example. And I was really hoping that he's still injured because he absolutely, uh, for want of a better phrase, tore John O'Shea a new one um, up at the stadium alike. He was just torn a bit. Well, he is back. He still looks a little bit off the pace in terms of sharpness, but that's going to come. He's got a fantastic goal against Fulham on his comeback on, on Boxing Day. It was 11 goals in 17 games, actually, in the second half of last season. Certainly at the start of the year, that game in September that you're talking about, he was unplayable. Even though he wasn't scoring as many goals yeah. as he was last season, he was dragging defenders away because people were so aware of what he could do. And it was the other players that were coming in uh, to score. He's allowed more space for someone like Junior Hoylet, for example, who's been an absolute revelation. Another player, Neil Warnock, picked up for absolutely nothing and now looks like a £10 million player all of a sudden. Uh, so there's, there's Kenneth Hall to watch out for. And there's Sean Morrison at set pieces. He's, I've seen him score a couple of goals, certainly last season. Really attacks the ball well. And he's got a long throw as well. There's a, there's a lot he can do for that team. So slowly but surely, they're getting the players back. And now, of course, we're in January. They are keen to make some signings to try and help this group. So, yes, they've had a bit of a wobble, but they're still right in it. I'm sure lots of Cardiff fans would have taken this position at the start of the season. It's just 
obviously they've had it a lot better than they've had already. So maybe expectations have been raised. I think Warnock himself said he's now got a little bit greedy. He thought they'd be maybe just outside the playoffs. Now they're where they are. He thinks they've got a good chance of automatic promotion if they can rediscover their form, which if they can get the signings right and they've got a bit of money, the owners are backing him, uh, then you would certainly trust Neil Warnock to find the right players. Which actually reminds me, Vincent Tan. He's still there, Vincent Tan, I believe, he right? He's still there. Uh, he's, I think his interest in the club has been pricked up a little bit by the arrival of Warnock because they're doing so well. I think he feels there might be a chance of the Premier League, so he's making money available. But as far as I've been told, the two of them, Warnock and, and the owner, Vincent Tan, they get on incredibly well because Warnock... Look at what they've done this season, where they are, the results they've got, which anyone listening to this can, can, can see the results they've had this season. They've spent barely a fraction of the teams who, at the start of the season, you would say would have been above them. Like Middlesbrough, for example, they've spent a fortune. Villa has spent a oh, fortune. Yeah. Wolves, money is no object. And up until a couple of weeks ago, Cardiff were competing with them. Their net spend this summer was something like just less than £2 million. So if you're an owner, you've got a manager who spends peanuts and achieves great results, so why wouldn't you uh, get on with him? Um, so, yeah, he is still there. <laughs> he might still not be the most popular man at Cardiff City because of what's happened, and we've already talked about that. But because they're doing well on the pitch, no one's really talking about Vincent Tan like they were when Russell Slade was manager and when Paul Trollope was manager. Once you get a couple of results, and you might hopefully find this in the second half of the season at Sunderland with Chris Coleman, once results start on the pitch... Everything else just disappears. Chris Coleman actually said something really, really similar to it before the Fulham game, which obviously was going into a year of us not winning the game at home. And he said, oh, you know, how do you want the fans to react? How would you like the fans to react to it? And he says, you know, at the end of the day, I don't need to say anything to the fans. If the results are right on the pitch, the fans are fine. Funny you mentioned net spend. I didn't realise that with Cardiff because our net spend was about £1.25 And everyone's saying, oh, you cannot compete. With that kind of money in this league, what did we expect? But you mentioned what Cardiff have spent, because that's marginally more than us. And I mean, super much, like it's, it's under a million more. And if you look where Cardiff are compared to us, so maybe, you know, maybe it is just down to management and it is down to the feeling of a club. I think the problem we've got at the moment is you've got probably a manager who's got similar mindsets as, uh, as Neil Warnock with, a you know, obviously a different personality, but you haven't got the core group of players really back in Coleman at the moment, the people like Kone and Dong. I don't want to, I don't want to mention anyone. That's, I don't know if that's true, but from the outset, it certainly doesn't seem that some people are invested in what Coleman wants to bring. Whereas Warnock seems to have had that period of time last season to, to build that. You could see that at the stadium and you see that with a lot of teams like Sheffield United or whether another example, I think the big difference with us is you do see there's a big fracture in the team and, and where that is, I don't know. But Cardiff and, and certain teams seem to have that. But what I'd say about that is uh, Cardiff have been where Sunderland were when they first came down from the Premier League. They spent a lot of money in that first season. Uh, their most expensive player was Bruno Manga, who's probably the only one left in that squad. They paid £5 million for him. They had people like Kenwyn Jones, who you know all about, of course, up there. He was earning a lot Kenwin. of money, wasn't really scoring a lot of goals. They had a lot of big earners and they were in a bit of a mess, really, in terms of the salaries that people were being paid and the results that they were getting on the pitch and what people were contributing for the money they were getting. Sheffield United, that team you mentioned, they came down and went down again. And it took them, what, five years in League One to, to finally get themselves right. All it needs, really, I think, is the right manager. Sheffield United have got Chris Wilder, who's a 
knows the club inside out because he's a boyhood fan and yep. and he can find the, the the gems. Neil Warnock was the right manager for Cardiff. At the, their, their most expensive signing in the summer this year for Cardiff was Lee Tomlin. And at the moment, there's a lot of speculation that he might be going out on loan. He's the only one they really paid any money for. Uh, they signed uh, Nathaniel Mendes-Lang for nothing from Rochdale. And he was started the season on absolute fire, bag of tricks. He's lightning fast. Hasn't quite been able to rediscover that form. But he was free. Junior Hoylet was free. Sol Bamba was free. Uh, Callum Patterson, who just come back after injury, he was free. So a lot of uh, Loic Demore, who plays in midfield, he signed from the French second tier. Uh, no one had ever heard of him when he signed. He was free. Callum Patterson uh, is that is that the boy from Hearts? I live in I live in Scotland. Is that the boy from Hearts? It is indeed. Yeah. Ah, okay, okay, good player. This actually gives me a little bit of positivity because, we, to be honest with you, we have we've got nothing. We we've pretty much said we don't have any money. And we, it's going to be loan signings and, and free transfers. And tr- truth be told, I've got a lot of faith in Coleman to bring the right characters into the club. He's already putting his mark on stuff. So it just goes to show, if you look at where Carter far, if we can keep our heads above water this season, give Coleman the summer if we're, if we're all right, there's obviously scope for having a small budget and still doing a job. Well, if you get the, as I say, if you get the right players, and Cardiff have got a lot of the players actually from the division below, but it's worked because they're hungry. They're hungry. They want to get to the promised land because they've never been there before. Uh, and it was very telling. I remember an interview with him last season. We were talking about the summer and what he would do. Uh, and their parachute payments ended in the summer. I think the phrase he used was the gravy train was over. He was looking <laughs> for people on more modest salaries in comparison. And it's actually worked out well for them. You think in your head as a supporter, once those payments end well that's it what are we going to do now we haven't got the advantage but it can actually work in your favor because when you try and sign a player they know you haven't got this big check of money coming from the Premier League Chris Coleman hasn't had a transfer window yet with Sunderland I'd I'd think about that Uh, and unlike the Premier League I think um, Sunderland haven't been in the championship a lot over the last uh, couple of years which is why they've barely played Cardiff I think it's only six meetings there in 11 years in the Premier League, if you're down the bottom, you're likely to stay there for the rest of the season. In the Championship, anyone can be anyone. And you have, go on a bad run, you can plummet down like a stone. Likewise, you get a couple of results together, you can pull away. Cardiff were down the bottom when Neil Warnock took over. And had they not sort of had a little bit of a, a blip, I think it was about April time last year, they might have just been knocking on the door for the playoffs. And I think we talked earlier at the start that the year you won the title when you played Cardiff about 10 years ago. Yeah. You were bottom or something after a couple of games. In this league, there's there's very little difference between a lot of the teams. Anyone can be anyone. It, it, every manager goes on about it. But it's true. The cliche is true. And you look at your position, I think you were a couple of points off, off safety. That can change very quickly with a couple of results. Likewise for Cardiff, they get a couple of results and Wolves maybe slip up. And that 14 points can soon go down to like four or something. You mentioned that anyone can be anyone. And that's the one thing I sort of knew about this league coming into it. But at the same time, I, I'm still surprised by how random the results can almost be. I mean, we went to, to Ipswich, um, I think it was November, October, and got beat 5-2. And then we went to Wolves, which for me was the only banker that would get beat. And we, we went there, went down to 10 men just after half time and, and drew nil-nil. Like it's 
you just don't know what you're going to get in this league. And it's it's kind of exciting. I just wish we'd win a little bit more because <laughs> then I'd be even more excited when Saturday comes or Tuesday or Friday, whichever it is. Uh, well, you only have to look at the, the Cardiff bad run that you talked about, four straight defeats. It's actually the first time Neil Warnock's lost four league games in a row as a manager for nine years. Uh, but this run started with a defeat at Bolton who were right up to their necks in trouble at the time. And since then, they've gone on a little bit of a run, haven't they, Bolton? But it started with a win at Cardiff, which even with all their injury problems, you wouldn't have predicted that result whatsoever. And look at Bristol City, struggling last season. They could have easily sacked Gary Johnson. They're absolutely flying now. We're in the top two at one point uh, and played ever so well against Manchester City on Tuesday night. It can change very quickly once you get the right players in. Yeah, and I think a lot of we were talking about another thing with this league as well. A lot of the time, it's not always about skill and and quality and it's about togetherness. It's about being hungry. It's about wanting it. It's about running that extra yard and winning that second ball. And that's a lot of where Sunderland, in my opinion, have failed this season. There's a lot of players that don't want to be here or haven't got the haven't got the gumption to be here, in my opinion. And I, I won't single out certain players, but I would like to think that that way Chris Coleman's going to change things. Um, and he's been looking. I'm hoping he's going to bring in some of the people, the connections he has from Wales. That's the only worry we have is that bringing people in as good as Coleman is, and there'll be want, people that want to play for him. He doesn't have much money. Um, he's, he's having to make do with effectively loans and free transfers, but he's been out of club football for a long time. And you've got to ask the question, does he lose connections with that? But at the same time, I think with Chris, there's no one better to be in charge at the moment. I just hope for his sake, because of the gamble he's took on us, which is a huge gamble to come here. I hope it works. Well, what I'd say about uh, him being out of club management, uh, while he's been an international manager, I think he has improved massively as a manager. I mentioned a while ago that the Cardiff fans weren't having him at the start because of his Swansea connections. He lost his first four games in charge of Wales. He was really under pressure. And it didn't matter whether you were Cardiff, Swansea, Newport, Wrexham or any of the Welsh Premier League teams, whoever you supported, a lot of people at the start weren't convinced that he was the right man. You've got to remember as well that he took over Wales in incredibly difficult circumstances after Gary Speed. But he changed things and did it his way. If He said after, I think it was the Serbia game, they lost 6-1 and everyone thought, this is it, he's got to go. He said, right, if I'm going to go down, I'm going to do it my way. And even then, they got a lucky win in the last minute against Andorra in the first game of Euro 2016 qualifying. A lot of people were suggesting, had they not scored in the last minute with Gareth Bale, he would have gone then. And then he just turned it around. So while he's been an international manager, I think he has improved as a manager. I think he's a better boss now than he was when he was at Fulham. I think he's certainly more sought after. Uh, And when he's been an international manager, think of the clubs that he's had to deal with where his players have been playing for. And he's he's had to talk about, uh, for example, how they deal with Gareth Bale and all the injury problems he's had. He's dealt with Real Madrid. He's dealt with Arsenal. He's dealt with all these big clubs. He's going to have contacts at, at, at all of them, I think. The manager that Chris Coleman is now, looking at it, taking a step back from all the emotion of of him leaving Wales, I think if you're him, you see it as a bit of a no-brainer, really. Sunderland are a massive football club, big crowds, even when they're doing poorly in comparison to the crowds that Wales were getting when he took over. If he can get it right, the only way is up, and he's not that money is the be-all and end-all, but Sunderland will be paying him more than the FAW we're going to be able to. He's admitted himself that the Wales job was not the best paying job. 
And perhaps he'd achieved all he could with Wales. He didn't maybe want to take that legacy. He's always longed for a, another club job. Any manager, I think, who's been in club management then misses it when they step out of that. Uh, if he can get it right at Sunderland, that could be a massive, massive job for him. He keeps you up. He maybe gets you promoted and maybe the following season. His stock's going to rise even more. There's the blocks in place there because you've got that fan base that most clubs would absolutely kill for. Yeah, I mean, it's a fractured one. It's a, a depressed one. But, but, I think but, it, if... but if you get that right and you unite everyone, like Neil Warnock has done at Cardiff, oh, then yeah. you're onto something very special. Coleman's first press conference was brilliant. It really is. And, it, and it, yeah, it's different now because we've lost a few games. And for want of a better word, we've been shite the past few games. Really, really poor. But at the same time, when you watch his conferences, there's still things he says and you just think, you know what, I kind of... He said something last week and it was I thought it was brilliant. He said, we're in a dogfight and you don't go into a dogfight with kittens. And as much as you, you want to hear your manager talking about positive things, he was right. He was calling out those players that pretty much don't want to be here and he knows that they don't want to be here. And that, I'm not going to mention names. We all know who they are. And I think that line, it just it instills belief in him and... I would love to play for him, and I've only known him for the best part of two weeks, but uh, two months, sorry. But what is it that? Because obviously you're a Wales fan, and I've never met a, a Welshman who's not a passionate Welshman. I've never met a kind of half-arsed Welshman. You're all you're all passionate about where you're from, and but so what do you think from an outside perspective? How do you see the Coleman Sunland relationship going, and do you think he can turn Sunland around? Uh, well, without knowing in terms of uh, what goes on behind the scenes with the owners and, and what have you. Uh, certainly when he was with Wales, he took over, as I said, in very difficult circumstances. No manager is ever going to take a job in more difficult circumstances than he did with his, his best mate in football dying. The players having to come to terms with that and him trying to take over and, and do things his own way. And Wales were doing well at the time. It took probably the best part of a year, maybe a year and a half, two years for them and collectively as a group to come to terms with that. So probably the situation at Sunderland compared to the emotional circumstances with Wales is probably a lot easier in that regard. However, yeah. obviously your, your plight at the bottom of the table is, is, is well documented. What Coleman did with the Wales players is they all wanted to play for him. You think Gareth Bale playing for Real Madrid a knock and the Real Madrid would be saying, no, no, you don't, you're not going with Wales. You're not going with Wales. We want you to, to stay for us. We've paid a lot of money for you. We want you to stay with us. Well, that never happened. He turned up for every game, every friendly. He was insistent that he wanted to play for Wales. It made a lot of people eat their words in that regard that he turned up, myself included. I thought if they were out of qualifying, we wouldn't be seeing Gareth Bale. He was always there because they wanted to play for him. Uh, and after his what proved to be his last game in charge with Panama, the senior players had a meeting with him at the hotel to try and convince him to stay on. They were desperate for him to stay because he made them all believe and they, want, they all would run through a brick wall for him. All the younger players that were coming in all thought so much of him. So if he can get that with Sunderland, then you can be on to great success. But the key thing is, which a lot of, ask any football fan, they're maybe not aware of it, but it's going to take him time. It's not just going to happen yeah. overnight because Sunderland have been underperforming from my position, from the outside looking in. They they've appear to have been in a bit of a mess for a while. Things just don't go the other way in one transfer window. It's going to take a while. I think if he can keep them up this year and maybe build, it might take him two years, maybe three years. It, he might do it immediately, but 
you give him time, I think he will leave Sunderland better off than when he took them up. It's obviously a big job. There's obviously players that you talk about there who maybe aren't running through a brick wall for him. Well, I think you'll find anyone he doesn't think is capable of doing what he wants, they'll be gone sooner rather than later. And he'll be getting people in, maybe not with the biggest names, the Premier League names or the big price tags that you've been used to. But that, as we've seen with Cardiff and we've talked about, that doesn't mean they're not good enough for this level. As long as you have the spirit, that's better than any sort of big money player who maybe isn't pulling their weight. You get the spirit and that is the main sort of core thing, if you like, for success and everything else follows from that. It might take him a bit of time to get that. uh, But if you guys give him a chance, I think he will certainly get the spirit alone. And then we'll see whether the, uh, the results follow. I certainly feel like he's got our back in. It's funny, even though there's been not much has changed. We're, we're still bottom. He's he's won a few games, yeah, yeah. He's he's won you know three more than Grayson did. But there's something uh, there's an air about Chris Coleman that just gives you gives you kind of a confidence in him. And uh, you know, I I wouldn't want to be a player that doesn't want to run through a brick wall for him because it's not the easiest place to play Sunderland. It's the best place in the world to play. I I know that. I've followed Sunderland for nearly thirty years. I know it's not the easiest place to play. I know we can be harsh. But if we're behind the manager and we can see you're not pulling your weight, and if he's having a go at you, we're having a go at you, I, quickly they're going to be leaving. And I just hope it happens fast enough where these players go and he brings in you know, a team. I don't mind if it's... I mean, you talk about big money signings, Jack Rodwell, 10 million. God, the things I would do to take that back. Um, and it's not even my 10 million. I, I dread to think how well the show it feels. But if he, can, if he can bring in the right mentality and the right team, I certainly think that from his press conferences and the things that he's said, he definitely has our back in 100%. And it's nice to hear you saying things about Wales and also you know, pinpointing the fact that he didn't start that well. There was a difficult situation in a different circumstance, true. But at the same time, it's nice to hear that that man's been through something that's tough. I don't. He doesn't strike me as someone who's worried about the Sunderland job. Not the way Moyes was, not the way Grayson was. They, they looked worried. They looked like they thought they couldn't do it. He thinks he can do it, and that's a real positive. Well, if he didn't think he could do it, he'd still be the Wales manager right now and he wouldn't have left to go to Sunderland. Uh, interesting you talk about the, the if about the fans supporting him. If the fans are supporting him, then he will get that time because the pressure at any football club comes from the supporters. And I can use Cardiff as an example because the last uh, sort of three managers they've had before Neil Warnock, one was Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, who proved to be an absolute disaster, uh, spent a lot of money which uh, we, some of the players we talked about, Cameron Jones, who maybe weren't pulling their weight in the championship, when things didn't go well, the fans quickly turned on him. They then appointed Russell Slade, who the Cardiff City fans thought, well, hang on, this guy's never managed at this level. He's only managed in, in lower league. And they gave him such a hard time, wrongly perhaps, in my opinion, because he got them uh, to within a sniff of the playoffs in... Uh, in his first full season in charge, and his remit was basically to lower the wage budget, sell all your best players, and wasn't given much money uh, to replace them. So to get in the mix for the playoffs, I thought he'd ever ever so well, but the fans were never really taken to him. They didn't like his style of play. They thought it was boring. Uh, the gates plummeted. There's so many empty seats for matches, and when things didn't go their way in games, fans were on the players' back. It all sounds very similar to, to what Sunderland are going through now. They then went for Paul yeah. Trollope, who was his assistant. Uh, that equally didn't really work out. A, a man with not a lot of experience as a number one, certainly not in the championship. He wanted to play a more expansive style compared to Russell Slade, maybe more Dower style. That didn't work. Neil Warnock came in 
And in the Cardiff City fans' eyes, he was a big-name manager in terms of the championship. So his first game in charge, they had been getting up to that point, like 11,000, 12,000. I think in his first game in charge against Bristol City, admittedly it's a bit of a derby game down here, but they got like nearly 25,000, 26,000. So they voted with their feet instantly. So he had their support before they'd even kicked a ball. So that straight away gives you a chance as a manager if you've got the fans on your side because they're going to be less inclined to get on the players' backs. Things sort of snowballed from there and it all came about with the right managerial appointments. The Cardiff City fans backed Neil Warnock. By the sounds of it, the Sunderland fans are, are backing Chris Coleman. So if the, a similar thing can happen, then you might be in Cardiff's position next season. You just don't know. Football can change ever so quickly, which is why certainly Neil Warnock hasn't yeah. been taking anything for granted, despite their lofty position. He hasn't been talking about automatic promotion. He's still been targeting the playoffs. All the while, when they were second, he was always saying, I'm more looking at not where Wolves are, but how many points the seventh team has got. He wants to make sure he's in the playoffs at the end of the season. Um, so he is well aware of how it can turn the other way. Hopefully for Sunderland, it can turn that way. But it's still so tight at that bottom. A couple yeah. of wins and you can be right out of trouble. A couple of wins and it changes the whole the whole perspective at the club and Absolutely. the whole mindset completely. Moving forward to the, the, the actual game on Saturday. One thing I wanted to ask is... Um, one thing that I find crazy is that they moved the game for Sky to a 12 o'clock kickoff for one of the longest journeys of the season. I mean, I think everyone's got the same opinion on that, but that's what's killing modern football, isn't it? I hate to use the, the phrase modern football, but like it's just terrible, isn't it? I mean, if that was the other way around, how would you feel about that? What's your thoughts? Well, uh, Cardiff, like Sunderland, every game is a long trip from where we are. So it doesn't yeah. really matter what, what the kickoff time is. We have long trips. Neil Warnock's mentioned a few times, actually, this season when they've played on the Tuesday and on the Saturday away from home. He doesn't see why you should have long trips away from home, I think. Uh, was it Sunderland? We went to Sunderland on the Saturday, having played, I think, Preston on yeah. the Tuesday. So two mammoth trips in a couple of days. He's not really sure about that. Funny you mentioned modern football. I'm watching a game now. Arsenal and Chelsea and before the game all the floodlights went off and there was a bit of a light show I don't really agree with that either but <laughs> there we are um, but I, both you talk about clubs not having any money well Sky are going to give both clubs some money for them having the inconvenience of playing at 12.30 and when you're in the championship I think you take all the money you can get really because there's not a lot in comparison uh, to the Premier League I do agree that there are modern football is changing and perhaps not for the better in all circumstances, uh, but it's changing whether we like it or not. So you've just got to get on board, really. And whilst yeah. it's an incredibly long trip, if Sunderland win two 0 on Saturday, no one will be moaning about getting up early. It only you only complain when it's a long trip and you've seen rubbish for your for your effort. You complain twice as hard when you get beat for that kind of trip, but you celebrate <laughs> twice as hard when you win. <laughs> um, one thing I like to ask, and I'm starting to I like, regarding the game, kind of last question sort of thing, but I do want a prediction and, and how you think the game will go. But before that, I've, I've started disliking asking this question because it panics me a little bit and depresses me again. Is there anyone in the Sunderland side that you would take at Cardiff? Uh, well, funny you mention it, um, he, although he's not in the Sunderland team at the moment, but they're trying to sign Lewis Grabham at the moment, Cardiff City. Uh, 12 goals, I think, for you guys this term. Uh, they're trying to sign him on a permanent basis yeah. 
uh, from Bournemouth. So you actually might be able to tell me a little something uh, about him. They mm. obviously need a goal scorer because they've got a lot of injuries up front. Maybe Kenneth Ahoy isn't quite firing as he was last season, still not quite as sharp. Uh, they're trying to go for recruitments. He's talked about uh, a lot of money for a top-class midfielder, but it's very interesting, I think, that they're trying to sign someone who is a proven championship striker, scoring 12 goals in a struggling team is no mean feat whatsoever, which is more than I think any Cardiff striker currently has, and they're at the top of the league. So maybe you can tell me a little something about Lewis Graben. Graben's a funny one because you could ask it, it you could ask different Sunderland fans one question and they'll probably give you one of two answers. They either think he's lazy and uninterested and they're pleased that he's gone, or they have my opinion where I think that Graben just used his energy in the right way. I think that the chances he put away, yeah, there were a lot of them were tap-ins, but he had to be in the right positions. He always ran the channels well. He never looked like he was having fun. I'll give him that. He never looked like he was happy. Um, he always looked miserable, chewing his, his gum, and his beard's not very good. He hasn't got the best beard in the world. Um, but in terms of like a centre-forward, he knew where the net was. And I, I am, I'm actually quite good at that he went, because I think up front, um, and many people, many people are going to disagree with me on this, but I think in terms of most important players at the club, before he's just gone back to Bournemouth, I think he was up in the top two, top three, because you cannot replace someone who scores the amount of goals that he did, especially in the team that we had. And I spoke an awful lot about Darren Bent in that period. And a lot of people said, oh, but he doesn't do anything. He doesn't touch the ball often. And he doesn't. He, he really doesn't. He doesn't look like he does much. He he jumps for balls sort of half arsed He doesn't look like he's interested half the time. But Darren Bent, when we lost Darren Bent a few years ago, that's when things all sort of fell to the ground. Literally everything just like kind of went burnt into a cinder like slowly after that. And that was because we didn't have someone that could just stick the ball in the back of the net. And if you lose that, it doesn't matter how well you defend, it doesn't matter how creative your midfield is, it doesn't matter how good your goalkeeper is. If you lose someone that just is in the right place and has the knack of sticking the ball in the onion bag, it, like you're missing an awful lot. And I think the replacing him have is probably going to be the toughest thing that Coleman's going to come up against in this transfer window. And he's got a lot of things that he has to contend with, a lot of things. Uh, well, scoring goals, as you say, is the hardest thing to do. Uh, what Neil Warnock likes is players who do their job. So he, when we talked about Sol Bamba earlier, he said before that uh, he's told Sol, you just stop whoever getting the ball into our net. You, that's your job. You get, you get in the way. And he said he does that better than anyone. He keeps things simple. So if... Lewis Grabham's job is to put the ball on the back of the net and he scored 12 times in a team that's bottom of the table, then he's not doing bad whatsoever. Uh, you, you talk about him not enjoying it. Who would enjoy it when you're bottom of the table? But yeah. the other team chasing him, from what we understand, is Wolves. So there's two teams in for him. One is top and one is third. So there must be something about him. Uh, and you talk about players maybe not pulling their weight. If he came to Cardiff, there would be no chance of him not pulling his weight under Neil Warnock. So he, he wouldn't even be interested in him if he thought that he was one of those individuals. Uh, he only likes grafters, does Neil Warnock, and he clearly sees something in him. The other striker that they're looking at is Gary Medine of Bolton, another player mm. in a struggling side. So we've said before, you don't have to pay millions of pounds for players. We're talking about two strikers here who, a couple of weeks ago, were both in the bottom three. 
There's obviously if, something about them because why would uh, why would Neil Warnock be interested in them when they're third and going for promotion? Medina is the one that we were linked to a few weeks ago as well. But I think um, it's funny the the thing with Grab and I think uh, the reason he's so marmite, especially now, is the rumours around why he left. There's a lot of people think that he, a lot of people believe he went to Coleman and said, "I don't want to be here and I want to go." But from the rumour mill or the grapevine, it's what I've heard is that he went to Coleman or Coleman went to him and said, you know, we, we haven't got the money to buy you. Yeah, your stock is high. You've, you've, you know, he's, he's approaching 30. Um, you know, do you want to stay with us to the end of the season? Which Chris Coleman, I think, is quite right to ask that question. If, you know, this is all hypothetical. I don't know if this is fact. And Graben has basically replied back saying, you know, my stock's high. I'm wanted by a couple of clubs. I don't want to really wait till the end of the season to see if they still want me. I'm, and you I'm can't really 30. blame them. Any any supporter no, who is in his position would would probably do the same, wouldn't they? And yeah, I, I fully agree with that. I, I I am very much on the side of Lewis Graben's a massive loss. I fully understand why he's went. I can't quite understand people who didn't rate him. But some people think he's basically gone to Coleman and said he doesn't want to be here. I don't think any conversation is as simple as that. Well, if he did say he doesn't want to be here, then Coleman's done the right thing, hasn't he? Yes. Yeah. In the position that Sunderland are in, you've got to have people who want to graft and want to work and do all the things we've talked about that the Neil Warnock players do. And if he doesn't want to do that, then you're better off getting someone in. There might also as well, without knowing the ins and outs, I'm just talking anecdotally here, but uh, I don't know what kind of loan fee or what part of your wages you were paying him. It might be that perhaps Coleman thinks he might be able to get couple of players in on those wages. Two players is better than one to help uh, perhaps in, in your position. There's a lot of things that yeah. happen at football clubs that not even myself as journalists find out about until maybe after the event. So there might yeah. be more to this than meets the eye. Most likely, in almost every case, there's something more than meets the eye, I think, with these situations. But that's how it goes, isn't it? We're all, as football fans, I think a lot of us are very reactive and we make our minds up very fast and we very rarely change it. Um, before, obviously, I let you go. One thing I, I think I, I really need to ask, and uh, as always, and I, I haven't had anyone who's backed us to, to beat the opposition team, but how do you see the game going? What's your prediction? Uh, well, a lot will depend on when we speak to Neil Warnock on Friday and we find out the latest on the injuries. There's been a few presses this season when we've thought, oh, it's starting to get a little bit better and he'll then reveal, oh, so-and-so's pulled up in training yesterday and we've now got no fit defenders. So we need to wait and see who's fit and who isn't before we before we can be confident either way. I've got to go for a Cardiff victory. <laughs> it won't surprise yeah. you to, for, to think that I'm going to say that. But they've been done ever so well this season. I think this is just a blip that they've been on. They're at home. From what you're telling me about Sunderland, this sounds like it could be their perfect game, if you like, when you're in a bit of a bad run to sort of get on the horse. I think a lot will depend on who scores the first goal because Cardiff haven't been prolific in front of goal this season. Certainly not while they've been on this bad run. They haven't really been able to find anyone who's been able to stick the ball in the back of the net. I think if Sunderland were to get the first goal, that would make things incredibly interesting. Uh, if Cardiff were to get it, you know, you've watched football, as you say, for a very long time. When teams who are struggling concede the first goal, they tend to think, here we go again. And it yeah, might be that Cardiff get a bit of a comfortable win. If you're, if you're asking me to stick my, my neck on the block, I think I it could be a 2-0 win for Cardiff. Sean Morrison's back. So I would back them to keep a clean sheet because he's so important to them. And Kenneth the Hall is slowly but surely getting back to his uh, 
his match sharpness. Uh, so I'm going to go for two 0 Cardiff. Well, I, I, I'm going to I'm going to agree with you. I feel bad doing that, but we've only scored two in seven. I don't see us getting anything from it, and I think Cardiff need a win to get back on track. So as depressing as this is, to give you an idea of our mindset and our as fan base at the moment, I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to say two 0 Cardiff. But then you're playing a team who are third in the league. This isn't a game that's going to define your season. I'm looking at your fit. You've got Birmingham, haven't you? Or that, that was postponed for the FA Cup. But there's Hull, uh, there's Birmingham, Bolton, all these games coming up. There are the key games. When you're playing against teams around you, you have to get points against that one. I think from a yeah. Sunderland point of view, from the outside looking in, anything you get on Saturday would be a bonus. Massively agree with you. Same as it was with Wolves of the week. Anything, a draw, I, I would take a nil-nil draw, one-one draw. I'll, I'll take anything on Saturday. Any of us would. And it's weird because sometimes when you're down the bottom, it can just be one result that sparks it. If it's a one-all draw and there's a last-minute equaliser for Sunderland, that feels like a victory, even though it isn't. And it might just trigger something. It, it works very peculiarly. Uh, and similarly for Cardiff, when you're on this bad run, it can take just one scoreline uh, to put you back on the horse. We were at Queen's Park Rangers on New Year's Day and one of the uh, local Queen's Park Rangers reporters who obviously remembers Neil Warnock's time there was asking us about the Cardiff slump, as you've been asking me about it tonight, said it's weird because they had won the year they won the title at Queen's Park Rangers. They had a similar slump uh, over Christmas. I looked it up before I spoke to you. It was two wins in eight for Neil Warnock's QPR, December and January 2010-2011. And then they went and lost one in the next 14 with nine wins. So at some point they had to come out of that slump and then they went on this terrific run and won the league. But I think the same can work when you're down the bottom. One result and it can trigger it. I'm always the optimist anyway. I'm always the pessimist, especially being a Sunderland fan, but there you go. But um, It's understandable. Yeah, with with recent seasons, I try to be I try to be more optimistic. But you know, as you say, one result does change my mindset and it change a whole fan base. So, and I think hopefully, hopefully, I'm not being too pessimistic and we pick something up and surprise me. Well, on well, I think I think with Chris Coleman, I think Sunderland will stay up. I think he's too good a manager to to let that happen. Uh, where you finish, I don't know, but from the position you're in, if you're fourth bottom, I think everyone would take that, and I would back Coleman it. to keep Sunderland up all day. And I think I've got to end on that because that's a positive ending, right? Absolutely. <laughs> well, thanks for coming on, Mark. I, I don't wish you luck on Saturday, but for the rest of the season after that, as always. Uh, been a been a pleasure. Anytime. Thank you very much. Well, you look after yourself. Like I say, good luck after Saturday. Well, after, you know, hopefully us picking something up, but we'll see how it goes and I'm sure we'll catch up. Or well, maybe we won't. Maybe you'll be in the Premiership this next time next year or maybe we'll be relegated or maybe we will catch up. Who knows? Well, hopefully we're in the Premier League next year and uh, you guys stay up. Well, fingers crossed. That'll be a decent situation. I'll take yeah, that. Absolutely. Best for both of us. So hopefully next time we meet, talking about another three points, we're talking about positive performance, some good signings, some good young lads, some of the bad eggs, hopefully moving out for good money. And fingers crossed we're in a lot rosier position because one win can change everything but thanks again as always for joining in thanks for listening to me ramble on thanks for listening to me chat and I hope you enjoy your Saturday and I hope Sky Sports see a good game that goes now a favour look after yourself Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. 
That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 